Welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Worm, and today we're going to go deep into Sacred Ancestry with my guest, Laura Valente. We're going to explore elemental soul medicine. And Laura, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here today, Thomas. Hi to the listeners. Yeah, my name is uh, Laura Valenti. Uh, I'm from Italy. I have jokes sometimes saying about how I pronounce my name with an open ah, like in mamma and pizza. So I'm a pizza lover for sure. Uh, I live in uh, Spain after having traveled many countries and after living for nearly a decade in UK. My partner and I moved uh, to Spain about three years ago to remove ourselves a little bit from the center. We were in London. We wanted to live a little bit closer to nature in a place where the rhythm is slower and where the life is a little bit more simple. So here we are today at the times of COVID-19 in southern Spain. <laughs> wow, thank you so much for for that introduction. That's amazing. And and Laura, I'm I'm curious on, uh, you know, when we met up together last time, we talked about, you know, your training in law school, in, um, which is really outside of um, kind of what you're doing now. Can you start with that? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, when I was younger, I didn't have clarity about many things. Um, some of the clarity I had at the time, it was related to somewhat having a sense of uh, justice, you know, which I couldn't, uh, I couldn't grasp uh, fully. But I had that and I felt that since uh, a very young age and uh, perhaps uh, also as a child because I lost my mom when I was very little. You know, I developed a sensitivity and possibly a sense of empathy and uh, solidarity, you know, towards uh, human suffering. And... uh, I would say nowadays that uh, perhaps there was also a lot of projection, you know, towards the external world and and that part of myself, the little me or the young person inside who couldn't accept the, you know, sense of injustice of having lost her mom, you know, would fight outside for a more just and equal world. Uh, And this is basically what led me to study law, Uh, you know, um, I was interested uh, uh, mostly, you know, in the in the area of uh, labor, you know, uh, in those branches of, you know, international law that could be connected to uh, human rights. And then uh, ultimately, at the end, after I graduated from university, I ended up um, in a studio where uh, a bunch of solicitors were working mostly with uh, migrant people and with women who were uh, forced uh, into prostitution, 
or who were victim of either smuggling or trafficking of human beings. So those themes were dear to my heart. And as I said, you know, there was possibly a very, you know, raw aspect in myself related to my own human experience, you know, um, that led me to research this area uh, until I realized that uh, I didn't want to spend my working life in front of a computer. You know, it was a sort of uh, job that, you know, would entail a lot of office hours in front of the computer and very brainy, very intellectual. So after a while, I removed myself from it because also from, you know, another angle when I was in my 20s, I could feel a lot of uh, discomfort in my body and uh, a lot of unease. And so I started to have the feeling that somewhat part of my journey was certainly related to Uh, connecting to the body, reconnecting to the body and healing through the body and pursuing a path path that wasn't so intellectual. So (laughs) this is what the journey with law has been in a nutshell. (laughs) Wow, uh, that sounds like a long journey. And and I just want to say I'm so sorry for the loss of your mother at a young age. That that must have been so hard. And and, uh, the uh, mm-hmm. how did you find your your clarity through that time? Like, what was the the event, or what happened to change your direction? Mm. Wow, such an interesting question, uh, such a challenging question, actually. Um, I think I can possibly answer you if uh, I look back from the place in which I am now. You know in the place where I was standing, you know, at the very beginning of this journey, we're talking about more than two decades now, you know, I'm going to turn this summer very soon, I'm going to turn 44 years old, so uh, we're talking about, you know, more than 20 years ago, and uh, I was certainly living in a lot of confusion, <laughs> that's for sure, uh, and in that confusion, there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, self-abuse, there was a lot of, you know, uncertainty and negativity and despair and alcohol and drugs and not very nice friendships and quite dysfunctional habits you know there was all of that there was plenty of it um but there was something that uh, i could feel also and um I think I can describe it like uh, the perception of a tiny, tinsy, very small, healthy core, you know? I think that somewhat inside me, even if that was pretty buried under, you know, a lot of crap and confusion and stuff that really needed to be healed and integrated, I could connect to that. And... uh, um, that I feel it was also connected to curiosity and being really curious about life and really wanting to to live and experience life. 
and uh, and the thing that this curiosity this openness towards life this thirst this hunger um wanting to understand you know human soul and the nature of human experience that is what it propelled me forward so somewhat it has been a journey where i moved one step at the time one step at the time and uh, what was happening at the very beginning was that when I had the glimpses of health, you know, of something that would feel like really healthy in my system or healing, I would just uh, hold on very tight onto that, you know. I would have a sense in terms of, oh, wow, this is different, you know. This is new. This is uh, unknown. This is uncharted uh, territory in the mess of my mind and my existence you know so every time I would meet that in my exploration I would hold on onto that and so then one step would lead to the other one until these experiences that at the beginning were very rare and uh, you know there would be occasional occurrences you know and things that I would would experience once in a while, slowly in the time, they start to be more frequent and happening more often until, you know, a new path that at the beginning didn't have a lot of, you know, I didn't walk a lot on that path. I could then slowly starting to walk in that direction, you know, and... Um, and I think it was a matter of treasuring these experiences that were nurturing, you know, that were nurturing me, that were nourishing, and that would make me feel a sense of uh, expansion and trust and hope as well. And that would happen through new friends or inspiring books or words or encounters and certainly with the first encounters with music and with the dance you know in my 20s and certainly recalling also in my 20s my experience dancing as a child you know which I always loved so I basically I feel that even when I didn't know very well what it meant I put somewhat these aspects and passion and things that made me feel really alive and expanded at the center of my inquiry. And this is what kept me going, you know. I don't know if I answered your well, question. <laughs> yes, yes, you. I, I think you got it. And, you know, I think this sounds like one of the most amazing journeys because, and I can see how you help people so much because, you know, what you're talking about is going from, you know, this discomfort, discomfort in your body, living in confusion and this self-abuse and negativity and poor relationships. And like, I think there's so many people in that space right now. And, and then, you know, you're talking about moving into this expansion and trust and hope. And that sounds amazing. And, and, you know, just whatever felt healing to you, you just kept moving through that. And I love that so much. That's, that's just, such a great way to live just following that nourishment right and uh you know i guess i'm i want to hear more about how do you help people you know i know you're a somatic coach and you do movement meditation and um you know elemental soul medicine and all that like what does that mean where did it come from and just 
Can you tell us more? Well, you know, elemental soul medicine, it is how I am calling my work right now, uh, which is an intersection of uh, uh, movement medicine, which is a form of mindfulness in motion and dance meditation rooted in a number of modalities and traditions. Movement medicine is rooted in contemporary shamanic practice and gestalt therapy and neuroscience and five rhythms actually as well. And then I blend in also, you know, sound and voice therapy and other things that I studied more informally and uh, my training in uh, coaching and specifically with this area of coaching that gives a lot of attention to the body and it's called the somatic coaching because it does include an awareness of the connection between mind, gut, body, heart, and an acknowledgement that uh, uh, through the understanding that we have nowadays, you know, uh, of neuroscience and, you know, human behavior, we understand also that it's very challenging to change as human <laughs> beings, you know. So the body is a key in this journey because it does include uh, a wider form of intelligence, a wider form of intuition, and uh, uh, and uh, a wider possibility of expression, vocabulary of expression, which is you know which it was understood <laughs> since thousands of years in many and, and you know old traditional societies and nowadays is being recognized by science and because we are Westerners, you know, we like to have things explained by science <laughs> or reconfirmed by science. So I blend these modalities and uh, and uh, this work, it's uh, the embodiment for me and the result of these 20 years of personal experience, but also uh study and research because particularly these areas of movement and uh, uh, voice work and coaching I have been studying uh, extensively so the work is grounded both in personal experience and research and personal you know struggle if you want and you know personal um story you know and background related to how i navigated this these challenges and and these struggles in my life and then i linked that to um, research and professional training and to community as well because most of these learnings you know i didn't do it you know how can i say locking myself alone in a room. They're mostly experiences that were enhanced uh, by community learning where people give, you know, uh, feedback to one another, we mirror one another, we uplift one another, we challenge one another, and uh, we help each other to see behind, you know, blind spots. And also we uphold oftentimes in this kind of learning settings, you know, a mirror so that the person can not only reframe, but also update a little bit the picture about herself or himself, you know. Sometimes we have some old or static images about ourselves and we need sometimes a bunch of people and, you know, 
friends, colleagues, teachers, brothers and sisters to update that image and to understand that we are actually already embodying that change. We are already it. And sometimes we cannot do, not sometimes, I would say most of the times, <laughs> we cannot do that alone. We need others. So this is what I offer is a blend and integration of days, an integration of also ritual and meat and song and storytelling and connection to the land. And, uh, and because we are in COVID emergency right now, I'm not uh, holding classes in person. You know, I used to have my classes and workshops and ceremonies as well, uh, dance ceremonies, you know, uh, in Spain. So at the moment, I'm mostly working online with people, particularly in this um, coaching, let's say, capacity. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. That's that is so great. And wow, that's just a holistic approach of oh my gosh, mind, gut, and heart, like you're talking about. It's kind of all these different techniques, uh, all blended into one that sounds like an amazing experience for all your clients. And uh, you know, I want to know more about you know, I've heard of soul retrievals and and I want to get your your uh you know, your point of view on that, but also the Phoenix process. And uh, what what are those two things? And how is this contemporary shamanism? Um, like, what is that? Can we explain that to the listeners? Yeah, it is. Um, we call it my teacher, mostly, you know, I resonate, I embrace, let's say his approach, also because I did learn from him. So we're talking about mostly the work uh, of Jakob Darling Khan and Susanna Darling Khan. They are my teachers. They have been uh, acknowledged and honored as uh, medicine people in various uh, indigenous contexts in the planet, from the Arctic to the rainforest. And particularly Jakob, he has been uh, uh, recognized actually as a shaman himself by other shamans. So that is one first uh, interesting element and the differentiation, you know, compared to what we can see nowadays in the very interesting, you know, new age field. So uh, this means that he didn't wake up one day and put himself in front of the mirror saying, I am a shaman, you know. In a traditional context, it doesn't work like that. Uh, it is a process that um, it is actually uh, shared amongst the community. There is an acknowledgement, there is an initiation. And actually, it's interesting to say that in most traditional contexts, uh, a shaman would think that we in the industrialized countries are pretty crazy having these fantasies of wanting to become shamans because actually in their world, it is quite a dangerous business. So this is the introduction. Um, why contemporary shamanism or we could even call it uh, indigenous shamanism and by that i mean a shamanic practice that is indigenous to this part of the world because again in a traditional context where you know let's say for example in a forest you know in the rainforest uh people live um not in a way that, you know, that it's perfect, you know, I don't want even to, you know, um, how can I say, uh, create a story around, you know, these communities that is based in fantasy, you know, they have their own problems, they have their own struggles, right? 
However, they still live in a uh, situation in nature where they learn from nature, they are in harmony with nature, they move their bodies, they hunt, they climb trees, they go out into the wilderness. You know, it is a completely different lifestyle and I believe it is a completely different uh, cosmology and possibly also brain map that they use. So in that context, it is quite uh, natural uh, for a shaman uh, who travels between worlds and dimensions to leave the body, and if you want, also to have an out-of-body experience and go somewhere else, you know. So this is not what we are encouraging <laughs> in this part of the world, in the industrialized countries, and in this context of movement medicine, as a contemporary embodied shamanic practice indigenous to this part of the world, we are not encouraging to leave the body. On the contrary, we are inviting people when we are in a process, in a journey with music. That journey would never have been improvised. So if somebody is doing the Phoenix process, that is not a two hours class. So that would be a minimum of you know five days workshop, probably also 10 with a lot of preparation, with a lot of ground to allow people to really uh, sink and land more fully into their bodies, into their presence, until they would do this process. So when we are in this context of movement medicine, of dancing, either to, you know, some music that comes from the computer, you know, or to live music or dancing, um, with the with the drum beat we are never inviting the person to check out we are not inviting the person to go to another planet to another dimension to another galaxy you know on the contrary we are inviting an awareness into the body to be with what is happening in the body and to come back home and this is based on understanding that is also confirmed by all the studies in the field of trauma uh, that uh, trauma does live in the body, memories are locked in the body and in the muscle, and uh, this is obviously an utter simplification, but what this uh, creates, it is often time... Um, a spasm or a reaction or a tendency that leave people to uh, stop inhabiting the body. So it is a process through which we split some of our awareness, we split some of our consciousness from the body because to inhabit that part, possibly when we are little, and possibly we could be even preverbal, it is too painful to dangerous or too uncomfortable so if we are in a household where there is some violence or it could be also a minor episode you know in the kindergarten you know something happens and uh, part of us somewhat needs to dissociate from that event in order to protect so actually dissociation, it is a protective, creative, highly creative mechanism that simply shows how creative and intelligent and resourceful beings we are. And then we know 
again, from science and neurobiology and uh, trauma field, you know, from some talking about the work of, you know, pioneers, masters like Peter Levine. And, you know, I'm talking about books like The Body Keeps the Score. You know, I'm talking about the work of Stephen Porks, you know, and uh, polyvagal theory, all that kind of stuff. Um, that explain how trauma lives in the body, what the implications are, what the limitations are of uh, cognitive approaches of talking therapy. And so, therefore, the importance to include the body in the healing equation into therapy and to move the body. We know through these uh, fields uh, what happens when we dissociate uh, all of us may have different responses. We know this also from the animal realm, you know, the famous fight, flight, freeze, response. There is also a fourth one, and I cannot pronounce it very well in English, which is the fawn response, if I pronounce it well, which is the response and the attitude of the person who becomes very nice and develops that attitude to make sure that everything is fine and everybody's fine. So we know that in nature, you know, things work in a very different way. So animals are able to restore their health and homeostasis and optimum balance through movement. They shake their bodies, they go back to running and so forth and so forth. So I'm taking this, I'm taking a big panoramic view to answer your question. So to answer, to complete uh, my answer in relationship to the Phoenix process, there is another aspect. Um so first it is that this tradition is not invented. There is a very, you know, strong lineage behind uh, for the work of how, you know, for how Susanna and Yago Darlinkan had been acknowledged. Uh, the second aspect of indigenous to our land and contemporary shamanism uh, based on understanding also of how trauma work and how disembodied we are in our society and how that is also nowadays beautifully explained, you know, by Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, talking about separation or Charles Eisenstein and also by the Pachamama Lions and actually indigenous people also explain that mostly, you know, the suffering in our society, it is rooted in the, you know, story and narrative of separation. Um, then, as I said, the Phoenix process would be held in a very contained, strong space with preparation. And what is the other aspect? The other aspect is that the soul retrieval, which is, you know, so we are talking now in shamanic terms. And, uh, you know, so this is not the truth. This is a story. This is a narrative. This is a map that can be used and how that piece of soul that eventually separated, split or dissociated can come back home. So in the Phoenix process, we dance and we dance through a map. And so here there is another aspect which is very beautiful because um, in a... In an old paradigm, let's say, or also, you know, in most of healing contexts, uh, we would go to a healer or we go to a therapist or we go to somebody who is actually either doing something to us or for us or they will do the healing for us. So there is another person, whether it's a shaman, it's a medicine man, it's a therapist, it's a doctor, it's a healer, it's reading your Akashic records, somebody is cleaning your chakras, you name it. So this person is doing this to you. 
Whereas in the Phoenix process, after all this preparation that I named before, so it's not something, you know, happening from one day to another, after a very deep preparation, uh, the dancer, um, using the tools and the resources of the dancer, gathering resources in the present moment, does the soul retrieval true movement and true dance for himself, for herself and this is done in movement using embodied imagination using the resources and experiences that the person gathered throughout a lifetime so there is no invitation as i said before to leave the body on the contrary the invitation it is to be very very present also with physical sensation there are many many studies about the healing power of what is called either felt sense or interoception for example which is really living the body from inside, feeling sensation, visceral sensation in a safe in a safe way. Because when we cannot feel, usually we are numb or we are numbing uh, we are numbing ourselves when when we cannot feel safely. I could be overwhelmed in feeling how broken my heart is if I don't have yet the resources to be fully grounded in the present moment and allow myself to grieve and fall apart without collapsing. So through the dance, we are also inventing ourselves in a new way through movements, through music, through new moves or new different ways of being. We put that old story into movement so it becomes a sculpture so it becomes a myth so it becomes a poem and um, and so it becomes a possibility to yeah to allow the imagination to open up and find new ways of being in a context of safety of community and in a context of movement. Movement is life. There is no, no life without movement, even when we are not aware of it. So I hope uh, you followed all I said. I'm aware that you know I took a quite aerial view to answer your question, but I know that it was a very important question and I wanted to be as precise as possible. Um, because I feel the responsibility also in this answer, because, you know, I am a more medicine practitioner and I have other colleagues and friends who teach this Phoenix process. Uh, I'm not teaching that myself to the public yet because of the gravitas of it. And uh, so I feel that if I speak about something like this, I speak about a tradition, an initiation that I received. And uh, so I'm speaking also on behalf of my community. That's why I wanted to be very <laughs> detailed in what I said. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is such an amazing explanation of uh, the soul retrieval and Phoenix process. And, and uh, you know, I, I want, really want to hit on that, like healing yourself. And also, I think it's so important that we reconnect with nature. And, and the way you explained our, a lot of the Western suffering is from this uh, natural world separation that we've created. And, and for me, I think a lot of my healing experiences was like through acupuncture, but I think the biggest thing is that that 
inside the body, the needles were actually moving the emotions, moving the trauma and helping my mind release it, which I, I think that's really interesting process of acupuncture. And also I found that I used to do a lot of Zumba. It's a very popular dance class, um, very rhythmic uh, Caribbean sounds. And in a really hard time in my life, I did Zumba three days a week, most, most weeks. And it was so healing to be in that space, just moving with the music. So I can, I just know like exactly what you're talking about. That healing through dance is so powerful. And I think the other way I find it is, is on a long run for me, I'm just so in my body and in tune with how I'm feeling that the running feels so good. And, uh, you know, the other, the other piece I really want to ask you about is, is you talked about earlier this higher level of intelligence inside the body and also this limitations of talk therapy, right? And I think that's so important for us to, to talk about because in, I think in my NLP um, breakthrough session uh, coaching world or the things that I've come up with and learned uh, is is that the the higher level of intelligence could be the subconscious mind inside the body. Like sometimes I wonder, is the whole body, your mind in a way, you know, like you're saying, your memory is an entire body, really. It's not just your brain. And how do we work with that? How is the subconscious and this higher level of intelligence in your body? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, such a, you know, um, important question. And I don't think that there is a straight answer, you know, and I don't want to oversimplify, you know, or be disrespectful. You know, there is a place for everything, you know. I've been in therapy in, you know, most of my adult, you know, adult life. And, you know, I did benefit a lot from various forms of therapy, including uh, spoken therapy, you know. Um, I just uh, think it's important to have uh, something that completes it or that is complementary that comes through the body because I think that it's not possible just to, you know, um, push away or solve or heal, uh, you know, a problem or a challenge just by talking. Uh, there is a place for that as well, you know, through storytelling, for example, you know, I mean, that is all verbal, right? And relating to myth and the power also of naming things and breaking down taboos and the power of words, you know, I really don't want to, um, you know, be, you know, undermine that, which it has great power and impact and importance. Um there are various aspects I feel uh, related to uh, to the body. One, it is that when we are too caught in our mind, you know, somebody would say, uh, certainly one of my teachers, they would say, you know, then nobody is home, you know. So uh, oftentimes, you know, when we are in a state of, you know, either anxiety or fear, whatever that is, you know, uh, we are possibly missing what is happening not just in the present moment in itself but what is happening inside us you know and uh, for instance I have this example I don't know you know what is it for you but I remember that uh, uh, I could have a sense already when I was a little bit younger that I I didn't know when I was hungry I I, I could I wasn't able to 
recognize the physical sensation of hunger. I was always hungry with my eyes or with my mind. And oftentimes still I am, or most of the time I like to eat, you know. Um, But I didn't know what the physical sensation of hunger was, for example, you know. And um, so that is just a, a very, very simple example to speak about that. And also in relationship to the subconscious mind, what happens is that I think that it's this reference to the subconscious mind and how, you know, implicit memory is formed and how most of our beliefs are subconscious, you know, and how we operate, you know, mostly from our subconscious. Uh, that is why it is so challenging to to change, you know. It's not because we're stupid or it's not because people don't want to change you know it is that it is truly challenging to actually transform a habit um, that is rooted in repetition and that repetition could be related to how we hold for example ourselves physically and how we contract you know muscles and how we stop uh, breathing or how we tense our bum and how we create tension in our lower back you know and each of us has a particular one or multiple ones so that is why uh, going back to this uh, life these visceral sensations and living more fully through the body not as an object you know um, I'm just thinking about uh, what's his name, Philip Shepard, you know, uh, I think speaks very, very beautifully about embodiment and what it means, you know, because sometimes some of the narrative as well that speaks about embodiment, it is simply replicating again that divisive language and splits the I consciousness from the body and the body becomes again an object. So there is an intelligence to that, you know, uh, again, our ancestors would, you know, locate uh, their center of intelligence in the belly. It is only in much more recent, you know, evolution, you know, that we started to locate our intelligence, you know, in the head and identifying that, you know, with cognitive uh, processes So, you know, there are many metaphors or images also that we can open here, you know, and the connection again with the gut and, you know, with the lower part of the body and legs and feet and being anchored into the ground and all the associations, you know, that throughout history played out as uh, dirty or inferior or uh, not uh, benevolent, you know, you name it, instinct, sexuality, you know, smells and orifices and feces, you know, all the bad reputation (laughs) that all of that had. So when we realize, and again, there is a beautiful marriage of the best of the traditions coming out, you know, of indigenous tradition in terms of ancient ones and our contemporary tradition, you know, in terms of science as well, bringing the best uh, of the understanding from both worlds in terms of the reason intelligence and that intelligence 
it's the intelligence of life. We are made of the same elements, you know, in nature. We are made of the same water. We are made of liquids, you know. Uh, we cannot live um, without air. And we are interdependent beings. So, you know, it's not just a, a nice story to say, you know, my life is entirely dependent on the healthy state of the waters and of the air I breathe and, and so on. And the more I disconnect myself from that, the more I don't realize that, you know, in the same way in which we are polluting the earth, I'm also polluting my body and vice versa. So just going back a little bit to the aspect related to the subconscious mind, because that part, you know, it's very much trained um, through repetition. So this is why also, you know, uh, the creative aspect of movement and dance and embodied, embodied imagination as a place, because we practice through dance, through repetition, through community, through movement, we practice repetitive movements. We practice different way of being. So I practice, you know, at the cost of having a silly dance, uh, I may practice dancing like a tree. I may practice my connection with the air. I can practice being fluid as waters. And you name it. So, you know, in terms of possibility for the imagination uh it is huge and also you know there are many studies that uh, speak about and i cannot remember now exactly which part of the brain thinks in pictures you know so when we are in a moment on the dance floor whether we are alone or more likely with a bunch of friends and community and with a group oftentimes in these moments when we create this you know beautiful, poetic, imaginative, collective dances, we also create iconic moments. So those iconic moments, oftentimes, those are pictures. And those pictures also bypass the rational side of the brain. That is why also myths have been with, you know, humankind since a, a very long time, you know, because the archetypal force of myth pictures, imagination as well, do speak in a magical way, if you want, to the subconscious. So there are many aspects here in place, you know, of repetition and allowing the body to explore different ways of moving, of being, to speak that language of the subconscious. And then there is the aspect of imagination, of ritual, of the brain thinking in pictures and, and so on. <laughs> I'm going to stop because I can go on and on and on. Wow. Thank you so much. That is, that is like just so cool the way you explain, you know, the subconscious mind and, and really I want to move forward a little bit and ask you about uh, this, like the center of intelligence is in your gut. Right. And I, I think I've, I've read a lot of, of research and, and more of the science is saying that there's more neurons inside your gut than, in your brain and there's actually neurons in your heart as well and I, and I think that is so interesting that that's coming out you know is basically you know validating a lot of the indigenous beliefs of following your gut and and with that gut instinct i think there's also like breathing and breath and connecting with your breath and how does this 
breathing or do you have breathing techniques that go along with this movement meditation? Um, look, with the breath, I mean, there are many things, obviously, you can do. And uh, I'm not uh, an expert. So, you know, in terms of various modalities and techniques. So on my side, I keep it quite simple. So what that means it's mostly uh, giving, first of all, giving attention, but also uh, long exhales, you know, because oftentimes a contraction in the breath, it's more related to the exhale rather than the inhale in itself, you know. So for me, when I want to go back to that, you know, I'm simply paying attention and I allow myself to have deeper exhales um, sometimes also with sound and you know again there is science now explaining you know which kind of feel good chemicals can be released uh, in that moment that also hijack you know if I pronounce it well uh, the brain and bypass some of the survival mechanism you know um, and also long exhales uh, relax the nervous system and allow the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, you know, which is the rest and digest, you know, part of the nervous system to, to open up and relax. So breath, it's key to, it's key basically to, to, uh, to self-regulate, you know, to self-soothe and self-regulate. And, uh, and for me, that it is also uh, oftentimes, you know, uh, connected to my feet. So if I notice that I'm either getting, you know, anxious or scared or nervous, you know, those would be the first two aspects that I would bring myself back to, my breath and my feet. Yes, that is so powerful. Just connecting with your breath and coming back to your feet. And, uh, you know, personally, I struggled with anxiety for, for many years. And uh, I think the key to me overcoming that was breathing into my feet and actually growing roots and grounding. And, and that is such amazing advice for anybody listening. Like the biggest thing is breath in your feet. If you are feeling that anxiety, I totally agree with you. Thank you for that. And and, uh, you know, how can people, like, what are your, if you could give somebody, you know, one tip or three or four tips, like what can they do right now to help change their habits or to come back inside their body? Like what can they do on their own? How can they start this journey of, of really grounding into their body again? Well, you know, um, a very useful thing would be to start uh, developing some simple practices, you know, and uh, there isn't really a recipe that fits us all, you know, so I think that it is also important to do things from a place of uh, enjoyment, you know, curiosity and play, you know, because maybe, you know, some people maybe they're not you know they're not into riding the bicycle for example maybe they're more into walking in nature so then be it you know or uh, some other people may feel that the best time for them uh, outside could be time spent on gardening 
So I think that it's a combination of cultivating, you know, uh, nourishing habits uh, and at the same time, you know, engaging the body and moving the body, even if gently, you know. So I don't want to say that it has to be necessarily the dance, you know, if it is, okay. But if we have to... You know, that would be my to-go, you know, <laughs> dance. Um, but if we're thinking more in more, more, really more simple ways, I would say start from scratch and start from basic ways to move the body, even if that includes maybe having a, you know, extra walk with your dog outside and perhaps make it, you know, make the meditation and enjoy and slow down and feel the air whatever works with the person you know to bring the body into motion it doesn't have to be hardcore it doesn't need to shake necessarily the person's foundation and create immediately radical change it's about including small steps you know particularly when somebody has a perception of uh, uh, being somewhere in life and wanting to go somewhere else and then maybe they perceive that there is a huge gap in between it doesn't make sense to focus so much on the goal and become overwhelmed so it is very helpful to break down the steps uh, make them simple make them doable make them achievable and then do it so if it has to be like uh, five minutes, as I do, for instance, on the rebounder, then do five minutes. There is no point in promising yourself that you're going to do half an hour meditation if you're going to do that for five days and then you're going to forget and then on the seventh day you're beating yourself up. So make it smaller, make it doable, make it measurable, simplify and create a habit and then notice it when you're doing it and acknowledge yourself and celebrate yourself and create you know like a small culture of success acknowledging that every day even if you've done something small you've done something good and nourishing for yourself simple including the body and movement in a gentle way and um then, you know, we were talking about breath, so, you know, simple breathing exercises, and, you know, when there is a moment of, you know, overwhelm, just notice that, slow down, take a pose, take a breath, exhale, and when it becomes too much, if, uh, you know, if it is an overwhelming moment, you know, bringing the attention to the feet, and maybe do a little reality check, you know, looking at your hands, you know, saying loud to yourself what you're watching, you know, uh, have a look around, bring yourself back in the present if you're being really overwhelmed. So this is more like a sort of first aid, you know, in case there is, you know, something that is really overwhelming. Um, and then in general, I would say particular, particularly now, you know, with the time we are living, I would say also reach out for support. And again, here, I wouldn't give a recipe, you know, just find what works for you because there is no point in forcing anything 
that is going to create only more, you know, either resistance or resentment or, you know, then giving up. So find what works for you. Maybe this is the time to spend more time with your friends. Maybe this is the time to work with a coach. Maybe this is the time to work with a therapist. Maybe if you can leave your house, if it is allowed in the community where you live, get some acupuncture, you know, just reach out for support and create a network of trusted people around you who are supportive, who can say yes to you, who see you, validate you, who lift you up, and who can be part of your, you know, uh, journey, you know, into health, into expansion, into resilience, into well-being. And then um, in connection to all this, uh, nourish uh, connection and explore what that is for you because there is no you know um we are we are wired into connection at all levels and you know there is no way we can move you know uh forward without nourishing that so whether that is called for somebody god whether that is called you know goddess or whether it's a physical place it's a church or it's a place in nature or whether you call it you know source universe it doesn't matter just nourish that you know and um and play with it and see what comes so i think that resilience is a very it's a very important word, you know, and I am assuming that the people who listen to your podcast, considering your themes and topics of, of exploration, you know, are possibly people who are exploring, you know, their spiritual journey, their healing journey. So if this is talking to you guys, I think that, you know, if you, like I, belong to the lucky, you know, uh, part of the population, you know, if you have food on your table, if you have a roof, if you have clothes, uh, if you still have some of your income, you know, we are part of the lucky ones. So resilience in this time of change is very important and support yourself because it is also very possible that um, you will be somebody else supporter. So for those of us who are in this capacity, in this position, it's very important that we really cultivate resilience, good habit, stay healthy stay strong and inquiry you know about what is your relationship with all this in this journey you know and your connection with your heart and uh, with that which is greater than you and i whatever whatever you call it thank you so much for that and uh that was so beautiful and there's so much wisdom in your voice and in what you're talking about that I really think the listeners could listen to this podcast, you know, five, 10 times to really soak up what you're saying, because there's so much there, um, you know, with what you're saying and also what you're not saying. Right. And thank you so much. And, and where can people find you? Yeah, I have a, a website that is still in the making. It's very far from perfect, but it's uh, called the Elemental Soul Medicine. Um, that's my website www.elementalcellmedicine.com and then I have a Facebook page so it's called Elemental Cell Medicine and then I have another one which is more related to movement medicine work which is uh, movement uh, sound and voice medicine with Laura Valenti my name is Laura Valenti so if you put Laura Valenti 
experimental food medicine anyway you find me <laughs> oh that's so great and uh those all those will be in the show notes so people can reach out to you if they want and uh you know, I really want to get you back on the podcast because we didn't even get a chance to dive deep into all the things you did in Peru. And um, I just want to hear so much more about all that and your travels. And and you're just so amazing. Thank you so much for, for being here. And, and I just want to open it up to, is there any questions I didn't ask or is there a topic you want to discuss or any last thoughts? Um, no, not really. I just want to thank you, you know, for your curiosity, your <laughs> your openness for your work and for this, you know, um, ease, you know, in our connection, even if we don't know one another, you know, it was, yeah, a very smooth and uh, lovely and heartwarming process. And uh, I really thank you. Uh, for this platform, for this space, and for the trust that you offered me. And I really, really appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you to the listeners. And yeah, I wish you well. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. And uh, you can find me at uh, Thomas M. Worm on Facebook or mountainmindtricks.com. And please reach out to Laura and her beautiful elemental soul medicine. It is an amazing website, amazing integrative process that she's working with and uh we'll talk to you all in the next one all right i want you to go out there and find your sacred ancestry